so uh, it seems to be the things to follow. Um, Luke's emotional reading, and now I'm following a, um, a skit by, by something that's actually written in the Bible. <laughs> but they've, both, they've all got their places. So I'm reading this morning from Mark uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome, bought spices so they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, there they were on the way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you, Jan. Uh, As you are aware, it's Easter Sunday, so we're looking... Uh, at that passage, I'll refer to a few other passages. It was really helpful that uh, Luke shared what he shared from John. Uh, you'll find there's some slight differences in some of the accounts. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, but we're going to consider the realities of resurrection is an encounter with the unexpected. So I think Luke's uh, lead-in has been very helpful. Uh, the video probably wasn't as helpful, so you can forget about that one. So uh, let's pray, and we'll have a... Uh, look at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it is uh, you revealing yourself to us. Thank you that we can come to it in full confidence, not doubting, not worrying, but knowing that you are the one who reveals yourself through your word. And Father God, as we open it now, we pray that you will challenge us. Uh, We pray that we'll be able to Uh, see the unexpected realities of the resurrection and what they mean uh, for us. And Father God, I pray that those amongst us uh, with hearts that are open, uh, that you will really uh, move in hearts to to bring joy, but also bring challenge. And those hearts that are closed amongst us, Lord, I pray that you'll open them and bring joy and challenge to them as well. So, Father God, this morning we come with great anticipation and confidence to your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, life is full of the unexpected. Uh, When I was about 23 years of age, uh, I had a morning, or it was an afternoon, like uh, any other afternoon, really. I was sharing a place with a mate of mine. His name's Troy. Uh, We were living in Western Sydney down at Quakers Hill. It was a townhouse. And Troy uh, studied part-time. He was uh, studying accountancy and he worked part-time. But I knew on this particular day that when I come home, Troy would be there. 
And uh, I pulled up in my Volkswagen Beetle, semi-convertible, as I used to uh, drive, a bit different to the one I've got now. Uh, I used to drive around, wind through my hair, all that kind of thing. And, and um, yeah, I know. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, so I pull up to our townhouse and Troy's Datto, his Datsun 180B is sitting on the front lawn as normal, his orange mustard seed, we used to call it. Uh, but it was weird, the front door was open, but that's not unusual for Troy. The screen door was open, that's not unusual for Troy. And so I go inside and I head into the kitchen to get myself some, uh, a drink, and there's no Troy. And I just went, oh. And then there's some boiling potatoes on the stove. And then I listened and it was eerily silent. So I started walking around going, Troy? Troy? Nothing. It was two, two stories. I went upstairs. He liked to sleep. No, he wasn't sleeping on his bed. Everything was open. There was no Troy. I check out the backyard. It's empty. I check everywhere. It's empty and it's silent. No Troy. Now, not long before then, we'd had a run-in with the neighbour. And uh, he'd mowed a strip on our front lawn down to nothing. And so I asked him about that and he had some very kind words to say about my, uh, myself. Uh, and Troy just happened, and it was an accident, to chop down his prize bush under the fence at the backyard. So here I am with an empty house, not knowing what do I do. There's boiling potatoes. I know, I'll check the potatoes. They were mushy. You know when you've overcooked them? Something's not right here. I became, became a bit frantic. I grab a fork, <laughs> start walking around... And because I'd closed the door, I suddenly hear the door creak open. And so I'm in the kitchen by this stage and I peek around with my fork and there's Troy. He goes, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? Who leaves boiling potatoes? He goes, I just went up the shop to get fork. Uh, not a fork, uh, some salt. <laughs> I had the fork. <laughs> just went up the shop to get some salt. He said, I left a note on the bench. But the note had blown off in the breeze and I had no idea what was happening. See, I'd encountered the unexpected. Everything about that day should have been identical. But it was all unexpected. And I didn't know what to do with that. So encountering the resurrection in the same way is an encounter with the unexpected. It was an unexpected encounter for his disciples back then. And it should be an unexpected encounter with us today. See, his disciples have just witnessed their Lord Jesus suffer the most excruciating death known in all of history. And as, as our Luke mentioned, we talked about it and reflected on that on Friday. He was publicly humility, uh, humiliated. In, uh, in Mark chapter 15, uh, chapter 14, verse 50, we're told that all the disciples fled him. Everyone deserted him. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was falsely tried. He was spat upon. Blood. Brokenness. Desertion. Loneliness. Then he was crucified on a cross and lifted up to slowly die. Asphyxiation or, or the, the loss of blood circulation as he couldn't breathe anymore. 
They've heard the mocking taunts. If you were the Messiah, save yourself and us. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Prophesy, who hit you? But he didn't save himself. He didn't respond. He appeared helpless. Yep, he was a great teacher. Yep, he was a great healer. Yep, he was a great leader. But that appears to be all he was. But they wanted to honour him for his life. He had honoured them in his life, so now in his death they wanted to honour him, forever having learnt a new way. So we're told in chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of uh, James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So the expectation was that they would find a body. Expectations have never changed when someone dies. Every other moment, the expectation is there will be a body. They hadn't been able to prepare the body for burial before this because when he died, the Sabbath came. And so they had to wait. And as soon as they could, as soon as the sun came up, they raced to the tomb to embalm his body, to honour him. And they fully expected to find a body. But on the way, they've forgotten about the stone. That's how I read this. Because they had to wait for the Sabbath and he was already buried and they wanted to do the right thing. And then they're going, well, who's going to roll the stone away? The stone would have been one and a half to two tons of stone. Probably rolled slightly downhill to be in place. So the only way to get rid of it is to push it back uphill. See, their expectation was a tombstone by the time they got there and a body inside. But when they arrived, they didn't encounter the expected. They encountered the unexpected. The stone had been rolled away. Verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Grave robbers? I don't think it was a pack of youths. It was a young man in white. We know it was an angel. Uh, The account in John said angels. But there was an encounter with the unexpected. And these women are just sitting there in awe. John Ortberg, a pastor in the US, shared a story about a friend of his who uh, was working with an official uh, of a denomination. They used to travel to remote communities because they didn't have churches in them. And so he'd go out with uh, with the funeral director and uh, he'd help the undertaker uh, perform funerals and things like that. Now, they'd just been uh, at a funeral. They'd just done the funeral and they were on their way back. So the back of the hearse was empty and... uh, and this friend of John Ortberg's, it was quite a number of years ago, a long time ago, uh, he was fi- feeling tired, so he thought, well, I'll just lay down in the back of the hearse. And I'm sorry if I've shared this story before, but I love this story. And uh, the guy who's driving had to fill up with petrol, 
And so he pulls up to fill up with petrol. Now, it wasn't self-service in those days. And so the attendant comes out and starts filling in petrol and is greeted with this body laying in the back of a hearse. So it was obvious that this guy wanted to get out of there. Yes, the body should be there. It's a hearse. And he's filling it up. But then John Ortberg's friend wakes up and opens his eyes. And he sits up, he knocks on the window, and he waves. Now this fellow reckons that he's never seen someone run so fast in his life. See, our expectation when somebody has died is a body and that they will never live again. And just like this servant attendant, when the women were confronted with something else, we are told they were alarmed. Now I think that's a I think it's just shock at this point. But by the time the angel had spoken to them, have a look at verse 8, trembling and bewildered. What is going on here? It's just not unexpected. This is something you cannot reason out. No science can explain. No philosopher can start at one point and argue a resurrected body. There is nothing that you can do to prove in some respect that someone's life can be raised again. And so they are bewildered. They are trembling. And they are alarmed. See, the stone's gone, the body's gone, an angel is sitting there. And in Luke's gospel, we're told they were left wondering. Wondering. Well, I'm sure that that's the right thing that we would all do. An encounter with the unexpected leaves us wondering. Because we're good, logical people. We need to figure this out, don't we? How could this be? And you've seen it, people, people uh, reason away all the things in the Bible that we consider miracles. They will reason out the resurrection. Oh, he wasn't really dead. He must have only been, you know, suffocated, but he's still alive and he's come back. But wondering is where we left. When I worked in the financial market sector, I used to work in Uh, a treasury area, and we'd always wait with anticipation of the Reserve Bank Board's announcements of their interest rates. Big highlight in financial markets. I'm sure every first Tuesday of every month, you're sitting there by your screens waiting for it. But it was exciting for us, and you'd see the markets in the days or the hours before deciding that they knew what the Reserve Bank would do. And so people would either buy uh, in the markets based on whether the interest rates they thought were going down or up or staying the same. You could see it working in the markets with prices. But I tell you, more often than not, people get it wrong. You see markets go down thinking interest rates were going to uh, go up or down. can't remember which way it works now. And now you would see it and then suddenly they're on hold. And frantically, everyone's selling again or buying again, trying to undo all the damage that they've done to their balance sheets. See, but when the announcement came from the Reserve Bank of something you weren't expecting, they were left wondering, what did we miss? How did we get it wrong? Why aren't things as expected? 
Usually it was overlooking vital information, subtle comments by the Reserve Bank governor, global issues, consumer expectation. It's all right, I've finished there now. The glazed eyes can all come back. See, in the same way, the women were confronted and were left wondering. What did they miss? What does this mean? How can this be? We were expecting one thing, and this is completely outside of that expectation. But they didn't need to wonder for too long, because the first people, the very first people that had to have their doubts about the resurrection dealt with, were the first people, the disciples, who had walked with Jesus, who were confronted with it. This has been the same throughout all of history since Jesus was raised from the dead. And the angel, angel says it clearly to them, don't be alarmed. I love when angels and, uh, always do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. It's like, come on. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. So the angel reminds the women that though from a worldly perspective the empty tomb is unexpected, it shouldn't have been unexpected for the disciples. Jesus has been talking to them about this uh, quite, quite frankly, to be honest. In fact, back in chapter 8, when he says, who do, the, who do the crowds say I am? And they say, John the Baptist or a prophet, etc. But who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you are the Messiah, the promised one, the promised king. And then Jesus says something to them that even then, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. All the things we've seen over these last few weeks. And then he must be killed, Good Friday, and after three days, rise again. Now, that's pretty plain. But see, even back then, Peter took him aside. And I find this the most amazing thing for someone to do, take Jesus aside, and he rebuked Jesus. He says, you can't suffer. I think they were so focused on his death that they'd missed the whole proclamation of his rise again in three days and we have it in Matthew as well and we're told in Matthew that Matthew after he says these things very clearly they were filled with grief because we can grasp death we can grasp suffering but we can't grasp resurrection and so even here those most closest to him are still not sure what's happening and I know John's account that was read earlier says it differently. But we're told initially the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing because they were afraid. They were left wondering, bewildered. I think they were probably going, hang on, let's just take a breath. Let's go have a cup of tea and think about this for a minute. Let's go through a few things. Well, the tomb would have been sealed. The Roman centurions were in the front of it. If they stole the body, well, 
Why would they? And even if they did, they could produce the body to stop this from spreading. So they eventually go and tell Peter and the others. And uh, Luke shared for us what unfolded. And even they went, uh, what's happening? John recalls that Peter was out fishing again when, uh, when, when he came and saw him. But now there's an angel telling it clearly. No body, an empty tomb, a stone that's been rolled away. Logically, scientifically, practically, think about it. He's risen. He said he would. See, if I'd found the note that Troy had left on the counter that blown on the floor, and I believed that note, then I would go, oh yeah, Troy's down the shop. This is exactly how things should be. Jesus had left notes right through his ministry. But no one believed them. And the resurrection is the biggest barrier for our belief. When the Apostle Paul started preaching the resurrection of Jesus, he was on trial for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. He was before Festus. And Festus interrupts him. This is in Acts. And he shouts, I think it's Acts 26, 24. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. But this is what we are proclaiming this morning. You are sitting there going, I am insane. I believe the resurrection. Well, don't be so quickly to jump to conclusions about even Australians. I don't know if anyone read the ABC uh, online news this morning. I think there was an article in there. And they decided to quote a survey that had been done amongst Australians as to whether people believe that Jesus raised from the dead. What percentage do you think are certain... I'm going to let you call this out if you want. uh, ...are certain that he didn't raise from the dead? What would you you guesstimate be? And if you've read the article, please don't yell it. 80%? 80, 80%? Is that what I heard? Or is it 87.2? 80%. Yeah? It would be pretty high anyway. That's right. 23.6%. Another 12.8% felt it was unlikely but still had room for it. But the remaining 63.6% of people in Australia were certain think it's possible, or just didn't know that he did raise from the dead. So when asked, 76.4% of people had room to wonder whether potentially it is true. Now, if that doesn't encourage you to talk about it to our world, then nothing probably will. And I think there's a good reason for this. Because I don't think it's because we're all ignorant or we need a crutch. There's plenty of crutches I could grab hold of without having to give up a life and be a pastor of a church. No, that's not giving up a life. That's a great call. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, we are told God has set the eternity in the hearts of men, hearts of people. And I think there is room for people to hear about the resurrection because I think deep in our hearts God has placed a seed in there. And I think those seeds are ready to be harvested, to be honest. 
I think you look at our world and the true hope of the resurrection is that it changes everything. It takes you from hopelessness to hopefulness. Not because you're grasping at something that can't be proven, but because it's based in historical fact. In fact, let me quote you. I'll just quote you uh, from uh, Thomas Arnold, the chair of modern history at Oxford, or he previously was. I'm not sure if he's still there. He's a great scholar, well known. He says this, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. You want a book to read about faith and reason? Read Tim Keller's The Reason for God. You see, we think faith and reason are polar opposites. But in fact, our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection is the most reasonable conclusion. Josh McDowell, now a, a, a Christian writer and, and, and uh, theologian, he used to be a journalist. And he, he went out to prove that all these claims of Christianity were untrue. He had an agenda. But he says, after I set out to refute Christianity intellectually and couldn't, I came to the conclusion the Bible was true and Jesus Christ was God's son. And the resurrection was the pivotal point for him. Well, he went through six facts that he couldn't deny. The broken Roman seal. To steal the body, the disciples would have had to break the Roman seal on it, on the gravesite. It would have led to an investigation and severe consequences. The tomb was empty. The apostles began their preaching ministry in Jerusalem. If the empty tomb was a lie, it would have become quickly evident. They could have produced the body. Fact three, a large stone was moved. We've already talked about that. Would have been sleeping guards there. Roman guard, a Roman guard goes missing. Roman military discipline was exceptionally hard with many requiring the death sentence, many offences requiring the death sentence. This produced flawless attention to detail. For them to flee meant it had happened without them knowing. The grave clothes, the grave clothes, according to John, were still in their position, but the body was gone. In fact, six, Jesus' appearances are confirmed. Paul talks about over 500 eyewitnesses. In fact, when he writes his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, he, uh, he goes, well, go and talk to the 500 witnesses that saw him after his resurrection, if you don't believe me. See, I think one of the great, one of the great misunderstandings is that the resurrection is just one of those things we have to live with as Christians. And we can't do anything to help people understand it. Well, firstly, we are spiritual beings and people are longing and yearning to fill that God-shaped hole in their hearts. They want to know that there is life beyond. Why? Because there is. And so the message of Jesus is that he died on Good Friday to pay the punishment for our sin so that you did not have to stand before the judgment throne of God and take that punishment yourself. 
But the great news is on the third day he was raised again and it proved everything he claimed about himself was true. He is now vindicated in his claims. And yes, it's unexpected. And yes, even the first disciples, and I tell you, if you were to fabricate this story, you would not put yourself as such a bumbling bunch of fools. You would not write in there just how unbelieving and how, how denying you were of him. These are historical accounts that have been meticulously put together. And he rose again from the dead. And that is a factual truth. It is a historical truth. And it is the truth where changes everything. And all you need to do is put your trust in him. There's no cost that's been taken on the cross. Hand your life to him. Ask forgiveness for your sin. Come to him and be saved. See, we soon realise that the trembling and the bewilderment turns to great joy and turns to a Peter that after the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them, preaches the first Christian sermon in Acts 2, which I think is the greatest sermon ever preached. A man who has denied him three times. A man who would not even stake a claim in him. A man who went back to fishing. But he was the rock on which the church will be built, Jesus says. He was called Peter, meaning the rock. And what does he preach? He preached this this, um, Christ, this, this Jesus, that you crucified in great boldness, is the, is the Messiah of God. Acts 2, 36. He declares it with all the full force of his spirit and his life. Why? Because, oh, happy day. I need not fear anything. I need not fear persecution or what you say about it. I can stand before Festus and be told that my great learning has made me mad. Why? Because I know that an encounter with the risen Jesus has been had by so many. And through the Holy Spirit, when you take Christ into your life, you too will know the fullness of life in Christ and have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus as he takes you from death to life, darkness to light. Happy day. Oh, happy day. And that's why we rejoice We have no fear of declaring that Jesus raised from the dead on the third day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done for us this Easter. As we remember the death and suffering of Jesus, we also remember that you have been in control of all things and your great power that raised Jesus from the dead, we are told now, lives in us in the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, oh, happy day. And Father God, I just come before you this morning and commit the hearts of all of us to you. I pray for those who are doubting. I pray for those who are uncertain that you break through that doubt and that you show them your hands and your feet and that you show them the great joy and the great renewal in the Holy Spirit. And Father God, for those of us who have been walking a path of suffering 
or walking a path where we, we, we're not sure of the, the, the life that we talk about and the rejoicing. Well, Father God, I pray that through this suffering, you will show them that there can be even a deep-centered joy in their suffering. Why? Because Jesus raised from the dead. And Father God, we thank you that you will one day, after we are sown perishable, raise us imperishable and wipe every tear from our eye. So Father God, take us into this day and help us to rejoice knowing that he has risen. He has risen indeed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing of that happy day. Um, so please stand.